Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 50 of the Australian Hiker podcast, and this week's episode is titled Food on the Trail, A Beginner's Guide. Now, for many people, when they first start hiking, um, apart from the, the, the amazing amount of equipment that we have to try and work out and deal with and, and learn how to use, we've also got to decide how we're going to feed ourselves on the trail. And this can be just as confusing as having to deal with all the equipment. How do we carry it? What do we carry as far as food's concerned? Um, is the cooking mechanism or the cooking process the same? Uh, these are all skills and things we need to learn as we, we pick up the hiking skills themselves. Now, the aim of this podcast is to take uh, some of the angst out of mealtime for new hikers by providing an overview for quick and easy food options uh, that doesn't require much preparation on thought. And keeping the food uh, choice simple to start with will allow you to focus on all the other skills you're learning at the same time. This episode, as I said, is aimed at new hikers, uh, and we will talk about in a later episode um, uh, more complex meal preparation uh, to give people a bit more choice. And in January uh, of 2018, which is not that far away now, we're also going to be interviewing a dietitian and nutritionist to get their input on um, what we should be doing on the trail as opposed to what many of us do do. All right, so before we start talking about food choice or food selection on the trail, we really needed to talk about um, what type of hiking uh, we're going to be looking at. And there is no one type of hiking. So broken down, we can either be talking about day hikes, where you go out and back in a day, uh, overnight hikes, where you um, will do a day hike, camp somewhere, then come back again, uh, and then multi-day, multi-week hikes. And each of these types of hikes have their own challenges and have the ability to use different types of food. Uh, and now we're going to look at why that is. So most of us started out on day hikes, and uh, with day hikes, it's pretty simple. Um, you don't have a lot of weight that you need to carry, so your options for uh, food choices uh, can be broader, and because you don't have to worry about uh, food going off, uh, you can also take fresher kinds of foods with you as well. So... You know, often for a day hike, uh, you might have a couple of snacks and you might have a nice uh, lunch. Um, you, you can splurge out a little bit and carry some things that you might not otherwise uh, normally carry or certainly carry on a, um, a longer hike. You probably don't want to uh, worry too much about uh, cooking something. Um, unless the weather's really, really cold and you're doing an extra long day. So think about the sorts of things that you might take for a normal lunch when you're going to work and the snacks that you might normally take um, when you're normally eating during the day. 
Now, the next type of hiking is overnight hiking. So this is where we're taking it one step further. Uh, we're going out for the day. We're going to overnight somewhere uh, before heading back home the next day. Now, for many of us, this might mean, as an example, we uh, will travel out on Saturday morning, uh, expecting to stay somewhere on Saturday night, returning on the Sunday. For us, what this means is we've already pre-packed. Um, all we have to do is put our packs into the car, uh, make sure we've got the last, uh, the few last of the perishables, uh, and um, uh, have breakfast at home before we head off. And then we'll start walking um, uh, uh, sort of early morningish after breakfast time. The return uh, trip is a bit the same as well. So normally we're either home either just before or just after lunchtime. So in most cases we might have a lunch, a dinner, a breakfast, and maybe at the most another lunch to deal with. So uh, we don't have two full days of food. Uh, we've also got to deal with snacks as well. One of the interesting things I find about an overnight hike is that um, – we we actually tend to uh, over-cater, um, and so we take far too much. Because we're not carrying a lot of weight, we tend to carry uh, far too much food than what we would probably normally eat and normally eat at home, unless you're going with a group of people. Um, you know, really think about that. When you've got your food in a little bag or a little container or whatever it might be, sometimes it doesn't look so much. Um, but once you get it out and once you start sort of uh, serving it up, you think, oh, gee, you know, is more food. And, uh, you know, the, the hard thing is that when you open something, uh, because you are out and, you you know, you can't put it in the fridge or you can't seal it up, uh, some, sometimes – you're also wasting a lot of food as well. Now, the other thing to, to consider with overnight hiking is are you going to be cooking or are you just going to be taking food that uh, that you can just eat uh, uh, as as is? Uh, and for us, certainly, uh, even on, on overnight hikes, I like having a cup of tea or coffee or a, a hot chocolate. Uh, and in most cases, I'm quite happy to go through and uh, uh, rehydrate a meal with hot water as well. So it means on an overnight hike, I'm taking a stove uh, because I do like having hot food. The next type of hike is the multi-day, multi-week hikes. And this is where uh, it can become difficult. Um, and by that, I mean, uh, we're talking about hikes where you're potentially carrying anything up to 10 days food at a time. This is certainly a smaller number of hikers. I wouldn't say it's actually a beginner hiker. Um, but you may not be doing 10 days. You might be doing two or three or four days, which is, is not abnormal. Um, and in this sort of situation, um, it's not just a matter of taking a single day and multiplying it out by however many days you're going to be traveling. Um, uh, it just doesn't quite work that way in practice. So on extended hikes, there are really four considerations that you want to look at when, uh, when talking about food. The first one is, um, is weight. Um, and on a long hike, so uh, as I said, on a seven to ten, ten day hike, uh, food uh, weight can really add up. Now, for us, we've worked out over the last few years uh, that we average around about 730 grams of food per person. So if this is a uh, on a, a 10-day trip, we're talking about 7.3 kilos of food, and that's dry weight. So we're talking about food 
that in most cases doesn't have any water or moisture in it. And there are exceptions there. Um, uh, things like peanut butter tends to have a fair amount of moisture in it and a bit of weight as a result. Um, but there's only so much weight you can physically, physically carry. And, and for most people, 10 days is really about the limit, which means you're going to have to work on resupplying as you go. Thankfully, though, with that food weight, you're reducing the weight each day that you're traveling uh, and each day that you're eating food. So the next thing to consider is food perishability. And um, I suppose there are a number of aspects to this, but probably the the main one for uh, fresh food that you might uh, be carrying on a multi-day or multi-week track is that you don't want it to go off. Um, or you don't want it to be unappetizing. So, you know, some soft foods, um, particularly fruit, bananas, peaches, can get a bit messy and get a bit squashed if you keep pulling them in and out of your pack. Um, and even if you pack them uh, carefully and well, uh, you know, some sometimes they end up getting uh, bruised to the point that you don't want to eat them. Um, we had a moment when we were on uh, one of the trails where on a hot day, uh, some of our chocolate bars just completely melted into a bag of mush. Um, you know, <laughs> they were probably still okay to eat, though I think uh, chocolate does go off uh, from memory. Um, they were just, you know, pretty unappetizing and uh, you ended up missing out on that part of the snack. I must admit, I uh, I tend to avoid uh, having uh, chocolate bars on really hot days. I mean, as we're recording this, the temperature in Canberra today has been around about 35, 36 degrees, and it's still in in the 30s at the moment. Um, and this is uh, um, at sort of 8:30 at night, so it's been been we're getting into some hot weather. Uh, so as I said, yeah, you know, we tend to avoid the the full on chocolate bars over the summertime. The next thing is to talk about is desirability. Now, on an extended multi-week trip, I go through defined periods of what I like to eat. And I use as an example here beef jerky. On an average two-week trip, I'll eat around about 30 to 40 grams per day uh, of beef jerky, but I don't do it day in, day out. I'll eat jerky for the first three or four days. Uh, I then become sick of it. I won't eat it for the next four or five days, and then I tend to get cravings for it uh, towards the end of the hike. So I will end up averaging that 30 to 40 grams, but uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll eat that amount at the start of it, won't eat it for four or five days, and then I'll eat sort of almost double the amount uh, as, the, as we get to the end of the hike. And it's just, it's just a craving sort of thing. Uh, you go through stages where you just get sick of a particular type of food and you don't feel like eating it. So my desirability is lots of variety and I do find that I can't cope with that much uh, jerky <laughs> in, in any period of time. So um, I, I'm, I'm looking for lots of different things and um, uh, a little bit less of each one. Okay, so the main thing is, uh, uh, from my perspective, life's too short to eat food you don't enjoy. So make sure you've got a wide variety. Um, you may not think that you'll ever get sick of a particular type of food, but you will if you have it day in, day out. 
One of the things that we have tried is um, uh, taking wine on um, trips. We we gave that up as a bad thing. I think life is too short to drink bad wine, um, and we couldn't find wine in anything other than, you know, those little sachets. And the wine was not good at all, e- even on a cold night um, in a tent. You know, uh, thinking uh, we're going to be blown away in a storm. Uh, the wine wasn't worth it. <laughs> So if you're going to have alcohol on the trail, one of the hikers we talked to uh, when we did the, the Overland track uh, earlier this year, um, he was using high 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 alcohol spirits, Sam Booker. Um, so you can carry those in very small containers and get quite a good good kick out of those. Uh, and I know a number of other hikers will uh, carry whiskey or rum. Um, you, know, you can carry good quality uh, spirits and they don't tend to go off. No, they won't go off, and he he would restrict himself to um, one nip every night. He enjoyed that nip, let me tell you. Then the last thing to think about is calories. For most of us in our day-to-day life, we keep an eye about how much we actually eat. So in our normal lives, the benchmark figure for an average adult is around about 2,000 calories or 8,700 kilojoules. And again, this is an approximate guide. It's going to vary from person to person. On the average hiking days, uh, when I walk around about 13 kilometres in length, uh, I'll burn around about 4,000 calories. Uh, So in in this sort of situation, I need to eat more food just to maintain my weight, uh, let alone try and put it on. I found over the years that on a typical two-week hike, so again, Larapinta Trail or something similar, I lose an average of around about 7 kilos, which is about 15 and a half pounds. This is due to being super active, uh, not having access to junk food. There is actually a condition where you do lose appetite after doing excessive exercise. And certainly that's something that's impacted me. I exercise and I don't feel hungry. Uh, I've actually got to force myself to eat. One of the things that we need to consider is that um, males and females aren't the same. Large people and small people aren't the same. So the number of calories that you uh, need on any one day and the calories that you might burn on a 13-kilometre-plus each day multi-day hike um, can vary quite a bit. So what might suit someone um, who's perhaps larger, um, might not suit you. So you do need to be thinking about that because you need to pack the right amount of food for you. So what this means uh, is essentially carry good food, carry food that you like, and carry food that's calorie dense. The higher the calorie contents, the better. You know, whereas for a lot of our life, we've been, particularly over the last 20 years, we've been so ingrained about low fat and low calorie food, hiking, we tend to want to go the opposite. Not the case for one or two day hikes. Uh, but certainly for long multi-day hikes, I, as I said, I, I just cannot um, keep the uh, the calorie intake up. Um, you know, if I'm uh, on really big days, I'm consuming anything up to eight thousand calories. I physically cannot carry that amount of food. Now, another consideration that's not so much to do with the what you're actually eating is more about how you're handling the food itself, and this is talking about food hygiene. Handling food on the trail is really no different than how you deal with it at home. 
And certainly most of us have been taught uh, that when you're preparing food, you make sure you've got clean hands. So you wash your hands before you cook food, particularly if you're cooking for other people. Um, now, for most Australians, we have a thing that, that most of us will recognise, the five-second rule, which means if you, drop something <laughs> on, <laughs> if you drop something on the ground and pick it up in five seconds, it's okay. That's what you tell kids anyway. Yeah. Um, now... The, in hiking, the five-second rule becomes the oldest pick it up, brush it off and continue eating it rule, uh, including getting rid of all the dirt that's now encrusting whatever bit of food you've got. So d- today, this is quite timely because today I was listening um, to the radio uh, to a f- food technology uh, person who was talking about um, handling of food uh, in terms of preparation for Christmas and then uh, what what you would do on uh, Christmas Day, particularly when you were leaving food out and uh, sometimes it, you know, it was hot and it uh, was being left out for a few hours. So um, for me this was quite timely and I think it just about put me off um, having Christmas lunch at the relatives, but, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll face that um, another time. But the really thing, interesting thing that uh, this person was saying was that in very small quantities, a cer- certain amount of mishandling of food for a healthy person is not such a bad thing. And, uh, you know, their, their view was that even in uh, dust particles and in all sorts of places, we were inhaling um, uh, uh, uh Bacteria that was often, um, uh, you know, either foodborne or could end up in food, but in very, very small quantities. And so for a healthy person, it wasn't an issue. So the main thing I think is, is not to go overboard, not to be, uh, obsessive and also not to go the other extreme and just completely be lackadaisy about it. Now, one of the one of the things that we tend to think about with food is things like mould. Uh, my mother, who's in her 90s, was part of the war generation, and their attitude is, oh, you just cut the mouldy bit off the food and it'll be fine. Uh, uh, and I must admit, I... Uh, I had a cast iron constitution for most of my life, um, uh, whereas Jill, for the first few years, every time she'd come and have <laughs> have uh, dinner with her, her soon-to-be mother-in-law, would, would end up being sick because mum mum's food hygiene wasn't the best. Yeah, I did try not to take it personally. I was <laughs> at one stage. I was wondering why I was the only person that why I was the only person who was sick. So in relation to mould, uh, certainly you can cut mould off hard, relatively dry sort of cheese, um, but the recommendation from the food hygienist is to cut an extra couple of centimetres past the mould itself. So you're not just cutting the, the green or the bluey surface mould off, you're going a centimetre or two past that just to make sure you pick up uh, all of the mould. Uh, I think this is something a lot of people tend not to worry about. For a lot of the wetter type foods, peanut butter, jam, uh, bread, uh, if it's gone mouldy, just get rid of it. Don't don't bother eating it. And this shouldn't be an issue on overnight or um, day hikes. But if you're hiking for seven, eight, ten days, mould in food can potentially be an issue, particularly if you're in a very wet sort of climate. Um, so it's something to consider. Uh, and yeah, when you think about it. If you've got seven to ten days worth of food and you're not going to be picking up more food for another three or four days, 
and you've got to throw half of it away because it is mouldy, that can be a problem. You may not have enough to last you through. The other thing in relation to food hygiene is things not to take. So probably avoid carrying raw meat, particularly chicken, um, unless you've got adequate cooling. And this normally means a cooler and lots of ice. So fine for car camping. Um, you know, if you're really that enthusiastic about cooking chicken on the trail and you want to want to carry a, a small esky and ice, that's fine. But it's a lot of extra weight, which people tend not to worry about. Um, and as Jill mentioned previously, avoid soft foods such as peaches and bananas. It doesn't matter how well you try and handle them, they always tend to get bruised. Uh, and at best, they'll last the first day on the trip and that's about it. Wash your hands. Um, and again, particularly if you're cooking for other people, um, if you're doing long or multi-day trips, you may not have access to enough water to actually wash your hands properly. Um, so, And this is where hand sanitizer becomes all important. Uh, do the best job if you can, particularly if you are pre preparing food for others, uh, and use utensils where you can rather than handling the food with your hands. With the hand washing and also when you're using hand sanitizer, um, it's important to get up a rigorous rubbing action because that also helps uh, uh, dislodge and, and kill bacteria on your hands. So it's not just the water and the soap or the hand sanitizer. It's about the, the rubbing action that you use as well. The other thing which people tend not to think about is don't share. Uh, and this is one habit you want to try and avoid. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I, just I just had a thought about uh, the peanuts in the bar, <laughs> putting your hand into the peanuts on the bar. Anyway. <laughs> um, uh, and this is probably the same sort of situation. I mean, normally uh, people, uh, medical professionals often say don't eat the bar nuts uh, because people walk out of the, uh, the toilets uh, having not washed their hands properly uh, and then proceed to grab a handful of nuts, uh, leaving bacteria behind. And this is the same thing in relation to sharing things like trail mix or nuts or bags of food where people are putting their hands in. You've got to rely on the fact that they've actually cleaned their hands properly, and that may not always be the case. So with things like trail mix, have your own bag of, uh, of food and just don't share it. Now, we're just going to go through and talk about some quick and easy meal options for, uh, for cooking or for eating on the trail. And this, these real options really rely on um, not cooking and not dehydrating meals at home, but instead making use of commercially prepared freeze-dried meals, as well as food options available in most supermarkets. Commercially prepared meals aren't cheap, but they are very easy to prepare and save time. And, and while there needs to be a balance, for me, my, my time is the thing that I'm most short of. And obviously, I'm not going to pay exorbitant amounts of money for, for things that I don't find useful. Um, but um, you know, in relation to food, uh, I will go through and prepare from time to time, particularly on some trips. Uh, I'll do dehydrated meals. But in most cases, doing a, a, a trip that's only a couple of days long uh, or an overnighter, I'm just going to use commercially prepared meals. It's just much easier. A lot of more experienced hikers will often say, 
I don't like the commercial meals. I don't like the taste of them. I think they're expensive, and that's fine. Uh, really what we're talking about is, as I said, when you're first starting out, this is just an easy option until you work out what you uh, what you find comfortable and what you really like. Now, what I would suggest is that you go online and read the written version of this podcast because we'll go through and have some links to some meals uh, as well as images about what we're, we're going through and uh, looking at in relation to recommendations. But we'll go through and cover those briefly now. For breakfasts, typically I'll have about 40 grams of commercially prepared cereal, uh, and that's the equivalent of about two and a half wheat bix. Uh, but I'll also have all bran as well. Um, to that, I add two tablespoons of powdered milk uh, and water, and if you happen to like sugar, uh, it'd be sugar to taste. And I differ a little bit here. Instead of the the wheat bix and the all bran, um, I find those a little bit hard to take and I um, have things like Special K um, as well with the powdered milk and the water and no sugar. The other option is things like overnight oats. So we've got a couple of recipes for these online and really you're not having to actually cook these. All you're doing is adding the ingredients into a bag, uh, putting them into a container and just soaking them overnight or at least for about an hour and a half uh, and they're ready to eat. So um, for me, that gives me four meal options, uh, which will last me quite comfortably over a, a multi-week hike. For lunch, uh, typically for lunch, I tend to be pretty consistent here. Uh, I tend to use a lot of wraps. Um, uh, now, again, there are so many different types of wraps on the market. Uh, I prefer to use ones that are relatively low in moisture content, um, and they may be a bit bland in taste, but I find a lot of them uh, that are on the market these days tend to be a bit sugary and a bit sweet. So I tend to go for the uh, the fairly plain, ordinary sort of ones. And to that, I'll add something like peanut butter or Nutella. Uh, or for the first couple of days, uh, I'll, I'll add cheese to it as well. So for me, the nut- Nutella is um, very sweet. I really, really struggle with it. Um, and... Uh, the peanut butter is good, and I do love peanut butter, but I do find when I get a bit hot and I'm exercising a lot, um, it doesn't it doesn't sit well in the afternoon. So, you know, these are just some things that you might need to think about, and uh, if you haven't tested them out, just test them out. Couscous is another option you can use for lunch, and this is something we've done for the last few years. Um, and we've got a couple of different couscous recipes, which we'll uh, uh, put the links to online. Again, you just add water to them. Uh, you add uh, various uh, dried ingredients like dried vegetables and some spices. Then you rehydrate them just before you leave camp, and by lunchtime it's ready to eat. Uh, so again, for us, that provides four meal options. One other option that's become very popular with a lot of hikers, uh, particularly in Australia, is um, uh, salmon, which is, comes in foil pouches. Uh, and these... Uh, uh, you know, you don't want to be carrying tins. That gets a bit excessive, but the foil pouches are actually Some quite Some people good. do. <laughs> um, the, the salmon is a, a, a bit moist, so in relation to what it is, it's a bit heavier, uh, but it's not too bad. Uh, I'm not a big fan of salmon, but Jill does like it and will take it from time to time. Yeah, I do. I do like it. And the other thing I find that um, sometimes on the trail, and, you know, it'll be interesting to hear our next uh, podcast in, in January when we're talking 
to the nutritionist about uh, getting enough protein on the trail because I find that a lot of the meals and a lot of the food that we take is uh, not high in protein. So the salmon is a good option um, and I do find it tasty. I must admit, this is one of these times where I will actually dehydrate um, meals and, and use um, um, things like hummus and, and a couple of other dips that work quite well. Uh, but this relies on either having a dehydrator or using the oven um, uh, at, at a fairly, fairly low temperature. Uh, but certainly, if you don't feel like dehydrating, this gives you a number of meal options to work with. Now for dinner. Uh, for dinner... I tend to be, as I said, a bit lazy in this respect. I'll use the commercially prepared freeze-dried meals in just about all my hiking meals for dinner time. As mentioned, time is my uh, is my enemy. I've got a real shortage of it. I just physically don't have enough time to get things done that I want to. Um, so I'd rather not spend um, time making meals at home. Uh, and in all honesty, as good as the meals can be uh, at home, when you rehydrate them on the trail, they just don't taste the same as if, when you, as if you're cooking them at home. Um, so I'm quite happy to eat the freeze-dried meals. Um, and um, uh, you know, we've gone through and reviewed over the last year uh, just about all the freeze-dried meal options on the, on the Australian market. And some that aren't available in Australia and only in New Zealand, and there is a reason for that, we've discovered. <laughs> So we've gone through and provided the link to our top 10 freeze-dried meal choices just to give you some options. Now, lucky last in relation to food, and that's snacks. Snacks really are so varied and numerous, it really is personal preference here. So there's a range of sweet treats like chocolate bars, nuts, uh, dried fruit is really good. Um uh, then we've got into the savoury sweets where you've got uh, things like the, the the cured salamis, but again, these tend to be more into the first couple of days rather than long term, um, as well as uh, some of the cheeses. And you can buy what we cla- used to class as plastic cheese, and this is the cheese you buy off the sh- or that's sitting on the shelf or needs to be refrigerated once you've opened it. So it means you can buy a small block of cheese, um, eat it over, eat it, you know, between one meal between two of you, um, or uh, have it over two days, and that's probably about the limit of it. Um, the other thing you can use is some of the hard cheeses, things like Parmesan, um, or some of the uh, other hard, dry sort of cheeses. If you wrap them in a cloth uh, and keep them out of the, the sun, uh, they can last a number of days quite well. Uh, I must admit, I will carry cheese. I'll carry enough cheese to last me about a day or two, and then I go into the the um, the the non frozen cheese or the non refrigerated cheese. That um, uh, so things like cheese sticks uh, that I'll have for snacks over the duration of the hike. And this does. I mean, that kind of food. It does depend on the climate. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, if you're in very cold conditions, then you know, a couple of days with some uh, cheese that is open is fine. But if you're, you know, in 35 degree temperature, then a couple of days with some cheese is not so fun. Okay. And lucky last is drinks. So this is things like hot chocolate, uh, tea and coffee. I do like coffee and I'll be honest, I'm a bit of a coffee snob. I don't have coffee that often, but when I like to have coffee, I like good coffee. 
Uh, and in all honesty, I've, I've yet to find what I class as really good coffee on the trail, although um, I will be doing some reviews of some coffee plungers uh, in the coming 12 months. I prefer to have hot chocolate. I find it's a bit sweeter. All you've got to do is add hot water and that's it. I also prefer herbal tea because I don't like having my tea with uh, 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 dried uh, milk powder. So I just find that the uh, uh, hot chocolate, the herbal tea, and also cups of soup. But again, for me, cup of soup needs to be on very cold sort of days. I don't do it um, on every trip, um, but certainly on the overland track trip, we did that. We probably had um, probably three or four nights uh, we had a uh, cup of soup rather than tea. Uh, but it's just personal choice. And just on the, the coffee, and maybe even if you're a big tea drinker as well, um, caffeine withdrawals are real things. Um, and uh, I do like my coffee, and I do like a good coffee. Um, so when we're going on a, a trip, I generally come off coffee a few days before we go and uh, I suffer the caffeine withdrawal when I'm in the comfort of my home just so that I'm not out walking um, and uh, feeling the impact. Likewise with sugar. So, you know, sugar is another one of those things that if you uh, eat a lot of sugar and your um, hiking food isn't laden with sugar, you will have uh, sugar withdrawals as well. So uh, just think about that. If you're, if you're wanting to enjoy the hiking, try to eat similar food um, as you would be eating um, or even drinking, things that you'd be drinking um, in normal days on, when you're at home. Uh, anything, Any changes can have a big impact. All right, we hope you've enjoyed this overview of food on the trail. Uh, and again, as you said, particularly if you're new to hiking, this is where this episode was really aimed at. Once you become hooked on hiking or camp and camping and you start uh, going more and more often, you'll expand your meal repertoire uh, and gain in skill and learning what you do and don't like. Uh, and most people will get to the stage where they'll rehydrate or start making their own food and taking their own meals with them. Uh, but as I said, it's something that you either want to do or you don't. Uh, it's nothing wrong with uh, using commercially prepared meals. As Jill mentioned, that um, we will be interviewing um, uh, sometime in January the nutritionist, nutritionist and dietitian uh, to get some expert advice on what we should be doing on the trail. We haven't as yet worked out what, what date that will be, but it will be sometime in January, so over the next three to four weeks. Our next episode, which will be our first episode for 2018, will be uh, the first of our in our series of podcasts we've recorded on our Christmas Kangaroo Island trip, which we'll be going through and doing over the next week. And we'll be releasing the first of our podcasts on the Kangaroo Island Trail on the 3rd of January uh, in two weeks' time. As always, this episode is available to listen through our website available to download through SoundCloud, iTunes and Stitcher Radio or a number of other podcatchers that you may actually be using as well. If you have the opportunity, please go through and rate us on iTunes just to help get the message out there. One final thing before we do go, we'd just like to thank everyone for listening uh, through 2017 and we hope that you've got a good holiday season planned, whatever your 
your uh, plans may be, and they're getting lots of hiking done. Okay, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. That's all from me. Bye from now. That's all from me, and Merry Christmas.